Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR. The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now, here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. My hope is that by listening to my various guests, you'll find new forms of inspiration that you can use in your life and uh, have some fun along the way. So today we'll be talking to Peggy Conlin, who is the CEO of Advertising Council. Peggy, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, for taking the time to talk with me again. Oh, Katie, it's my pleasure. So now, we had met briefly um, dur- during Advertising Week, and we talked a little bit about the Ad Council, and I'd love to just talk some more for all the people that, you know, who are listening who, d- who don't know about it. Can you just talk a little bit about what the Ad Council is and, and what your mission is? Thank you for the opportunity to do that, Katie. I love talking about the Ad Council. Uh, The Ad Council is actually a charity. Uh, We are a 501c3, and we were founded about 65 years ago by the advertising industry to uh, represent the pro bono efforts of the industry. So we um, help... We help Americans do uh, things that are great and healthy for them and not to do things that are not so great and healthy for them through public service advertising. And I'll talk about what we call public service advertising in just a minute. But the real beauty of the uh, model is that we work with probably 70 different advertising agencies all across the country who provide all of their time and talents pro bono. Uh, Our campaign sponsors reimburse them for their out-of-pocket, but they do fabulous campaigns, uh, complete uh, all all media platforms, everything from television, radio, to uh, the most sophisticated Internet programs, Uh, and they do, as I said, pro bono. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. we also take these campaigns and market them to the media community, and we receive close to $2 billion a year in donated media for these very important messages. Wow. So I noticed on your website that you talk about, you know, your commitment to addressing the most pressing social issues of the day. And clearly that changes through time. So what are you focusing on now, and what do you believe to be the most important issues for right now? We have a lot of relatively new campaigns that I think would fall under the category of pressing social issues that uh, are, you know, relatively new. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them are things like our obesity prevention efforts. Uh, we have uh, a brand-new foreclosure prevention campaign. We have a number of campaigns on financial literacy that talk about the importance of savings and the uh, uh, how to manage your credit. Uh, we have a campaign addressing youth reckless driving, which is still the largest killer of teenagers, uh, a campaign addressing diabetes uh, and the fact that it's important to know your A1C, which is a good long-term measure of do you have your diabetes under control. Our autism awareness campaign is now one in 150 children that are diagnosed with autism, and early intervention 
can help. So those are just a few examples of some of the really important campaigns that we have to address current social issues. Can I ask you, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, you, you're going down the list and they all sound really um, fantastic, but, I, but the first one you happened to mention was obesity. And, you know, that's an, an interesting one, especially because a lot of advertisers, you could say, you know, work on campaigns that possibly could contribute to obesity. So how does that fit in? Well, you know, we have a campaign that's three years old now. Uh, we Our sponsor is the Department of Health and Human Services, and we work directly mm -hmm. with the Secretary's office. It's been a very rich and powerful campaign. We've received in the last three years, by the way, over $350 million worth of donated media on that campaign, making it one historically one of the most successful campaigns in the Ad Council's history. And more importantly, we because we do pre- and post-awareness uh, and attitude and behavior measures, mm -hmm. we can show that we're actually moving the, needles, the needle with adults and with kids on behaviors that are really critical to obesity prevention, like um, fitness, uh, you know, reporting that they are active uh, a goodly amount of the time, that they are uh, eating healthier, that they are uh, watching the portions that they eat. We've moved the needle on those probably 10 percentage points, and we're very proud of that work. Um, you know, you could say that uh, a lot of people point the finger at, at advertisers, but in the three or four years that we've been working on this issue, I think that we've seen that advertisers are really taking very important steps and potentially sometimes uh, at the uh, expense of, of short-term profits to not only be careful about the messages that they are delivering, but also they've made a big investment in food formulations and things so that they can, you know, still be robust and profitable companies while addressing mm -hmm. the obesity crisis in this country. So I really think it's... Um, it's not uh, it's not productive, and I don't think it's entirely accurate to point to the food and beverage industry as the villains here. Good, I agree. <laughs> as, as people who have uh, you know several terrific food clients at CPB, no, so how does it work? Do do you do ad agencies come to you and say, Peggy, we really want to work on something, or do you go out to them and say, Oh, I think this particular agency would match up very well with this? It's a little bit of both. We um, have, a, as I mentioned before, about 50 campaigns on our docket, and, and most of those campaigns, I would say all but a handful, continue year after year producing work, and most of them are with the same agencies that we started with. Um, Smokey Bear is 61 years old, and that's been with Draft FCB in Southern California from the beginning. The oh, really? College. <laughs> yeah, it's really a wonderful, rich history. These campaigns become part of the agency culture. Um, the um, uh, UNCF, A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Waste, has been a Saatchi campaign for 35 years. And there are many other examples I could give you. But when it comes to assigning new agencies, uh, we do a little bit of both that you mentioned. Agencies are uh, oftentimes putting their hand up and saying, when you have another assignment, uh, think of us because we'd like to take a ad council uh, campaign on. Uh, and then what we will do when the issue gets approved uh, to come onto our docket, we will take a look at the list of agencies that we are not doing business with, that have put their hand up, and we will um, you know, match them up based on their target audience expertise. You know, I think it, it's pretty I mean, shows like Mad Men of Madison Avenue, that's a show I really enjoy watching it, but I don't think, 
you know, I like to think that it's not terribly indicative the way that people act of people in advertising today. Oh, certainly and, not. Yeah, I mean, wasn't that supposed to be taking place in the 50s and 60s? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I came into the business in the early 70s, and I can tell you it had already changed dramatically by then, maybe except for the smoking and drinking part of it. <laughs> <laughs> even the, even that's facing out. <laughs> oh, that's that's long gone. That's long gone. The, the smoking, definitely, that's gone. <laughs> that's exactly but, right. I mean, do, do you think that this, and I, I just... I, you know, I've heard people recently during Advertising Week, I heard people say that they thought that this was an industry that, you know, in some ways was sort of a self-loathing industry. Do you, do you find that to be the case? We certainly don't see it in the kind of work that we do here at the Ad Council. I think that if there's any element of that, it's that people sometimes get beaten down by advocates and so-called experts who love to criticize, you know, what the advertising industry does and, and look for, you know, sinister motives. I honestly can tell you that all the people that come to work here for the advertising, you know, at the advertising council, have the purest of motives, and they get very excited about what they do. And it's really a great example of being able to take uh, both the art and the science of advertising and apply it to solving social problems. And we have a rich history of demonstrating that that's just what the industry does. So I think anytime somebody gets down, they should call me. I'll give them a little pep talk about all the wonderful <laughs> things the business does. Call Peggy if you need a pep talk because it's, I mean, it really is true. The power of advertising, I mean, the Ad Council is a perfect example of what the true power of advertising can be. Absolutely. I mean, we can demonstrate not only the really terrific creative, whether it's poignant or funny or, you know, whatever. They be, there's so many different ways in creatively. But because everything we do is also based in research, both uh, communications insights and uh, benchmarks that establish where the target audience is in terms of attitudes and behaviors. And then we can watch over the years how we've changed those attitudes and behaviors. I mean, there is absolutely no doubt that public service advertising moves the needle on social issues. I, and one of my favorite examples to use is friends don't let friends drive drunk. Because when we started that campaign over 25 years ago, you were more likely to hear somebody say, let's have one for the road than yeah. who's the designated driver. I mean, it's a, a complete uh, reversal of social norms. And that is can only be done through good, effective communications. Can you talk a little bit about, when I spoke with you uh, earlier, you, you had told me the history of the Ad Council, and it's so interesting how it got started. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Oh, not at all. You're right. It is interesting. Um, it was back in the early 40s when the you know, powers of the industry, the advertising agency primarily, uh, were at a conference and they began to think about how, because there was a cynicism and there still is to some degree about the value of advertising and um, they said, what could we do as an industry that would help to reverse the perception of the business and by the same token, you know, add value to this country? Uh, right at the time that those conversations were happening, Pearl Harbor was attacked, and um, there was conversations with uh, President Roosevelt, who I'm told, although I never met the gentleman, uh, said that if he hadn't been in politics, he would have gone into advertising. He was a big fan of the industry. He asked the industry if they would form the War Ad Council to address the important messages that needed to be communicated to the American people, like buy war bonds, 
plant victory gardens, loose lip sync ships. Rosie the Riveter was an ad council campaign during World War II, and it was so successful that at the end of the war, uh, the president asked the industry if they would continue the good work, and they just took the name war out of the war ad council, and we've been the ad council ever since with the same mission, to use the power of communications to create positive social change. Let's talk about some of the campaigns. I know at Advertising Week um, there was a lot of talk about the Amber, Amber Alert campaign. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this is a terrific example of being able to move the needle in a short period of time. Our campaign sponsor on this is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And you know them for a lot of terrific work, uh, but everybody knows the Amber Alerts, and those are the highway alerts, and, and actually there are alerts on television and radio as well when a child goes missing, because it turns every citizen into the eyes and ears of, the, of law enforcement to help recover a child, which the first three hours that they go missing is the most critical. Well, technology has allowed us to do what we call wireless AMBER alerts. So anybody who's got a cell phone, and 200 million people in this country do, can sign up to receive wireless AMBER alerts on their cell phones that will give information. And it's it's zip code specific, so it's not like every child in the country that goes missing, you're going to get a, uh, an alert on it. You can uh, narrow it down to the zip codes that you spend your time in. And you will receive uh, a text message with the relevant information, a description of the child, the vehicle, the license plate number, whatever they have at that moment, and you know, increase the odds that a child that's been abducted will be uh, will be found. So if, if you're in New York, you'll just you'll you know you can say, I just wanted if I'm in the one zero zero two one area code uh, zip code, and that's the only time you'll be getting it. Yeah, well, it'll be a little bit bigger footprint than that, obviously, <laughs> but yes, I mean, you'll only get, as a matter of fact, we're signed up around here, and if you get two or three a year, that's probably a lot, but uh, you know, I think that's important because people would probably not take them too seriously if they got uh, a number of alerts and they looked at it and they said, well, that's not in my geographic area. Why am I getting this message? So it's a really sophisticated program. And uh, we developed a campaign uh, with Merkley that uh, obviously there's the uh, traditional media campaign, television, radio, Internet, outdoor, and it's really very powerful work. And we put a, a concentrated effort uh, in New York City on it. We also used a lot of uh, New York City-specific media, Times Square, spectacular boards, segways, uh, grassroots marketing, and we were able to really pump up the volume on that campaign. We were on Good Morning America with, with no, to the Today Show, excuse me, the Today Show in the morning. And mm -hmm. uh, so there was a number of opportunities to uh, to get the message out and to teach people how to sign up for this. And there were, in just in that one week, an additional 4,000 people that signed up to receive wireless AMBER alerts. So... There's a real tangible outcome, not only of public service advertising, but of Advertising Week. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Advertising Week. I mean, do you just we we've had Matt Schechner on in the past, and we've had different people talking about Advertising Week. There were so many people involved in the you know VIP people, including yourself, involved in the week. Do you think it's an event that's useful to the industry? I think there are a lot of great things that come out of Advertising Week, certainly from the standpoint of being able to get behind social causes and uh, and amplify uh, those those messages is really wonderful. 
Um, I think there's a lot of terrific learning that comes out of it, particularly uh, for for younger and mid-level professionals in our business, the ability to go and hear the leaders of the industry talk and really give them uh, professional insights is wonderful. And I don't know that they would all have access to that if it were not for Advertising Week. And the other intangible is I think it's wonderful uh, from a networking standpoint. Um, I know during that week, every event I go to, I see somebody that uh, it's important for me to talk to, um, and by the way, there's the, the just the personal uh, enjoyment out of getting together with everybody. Yeah, well, it's a it's a fun week, and it, and it was it was especially interesting this year. I thought, you know, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned the Smokey the Bear campaign, which has been around for so long. The mind is a terrible thing to waste. How do you keep those types of campaigns that have become such a staple interesting and fresh? Well, the work is refreshed every year, and there's also always uh, consumer research that accompanies every new round of work. And I'll tell you, if anybody doubted the relevance of uh, Smokey Bear and the wildfire and forest fire prevention, they'd only have to look at Southern California today. I, I mean, know. The, a lot of us that live in places like New York City uh, and other uh, uh, urban areas think that Smokey Bear is data dated, but I have a lot of family in uh, in that Southern California area, and I know that they see Smokey Bear messages all the time, and they they love the campaign. He has, I think, uh, as much recognition as Santa Claus. Uh, I believe I've seen research that says something like that. So you're kidding uh, me? That, uh, no, as long as the mess the social issue is still relevant, our agencies mm-hmm. keep the message important and relevant. I mean, the United Negro College Fund and their support of the historically uh, black colleges and universities was never more important than it was after Katrina. So, I mean, I I think that um, it's easy to keep them relevant because with our model, we have world-class talent working on them, and we continue to do um, consumer research that informs every round of work. Smokey looks great. <laughs> He's never looked looked better. Has he been on a diet? He's not obese, is he? No. No, he's very fit. He's a very fit bear. We're, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I have a couple more questions for you about the Ad Council and what's happening coming up. So we'll be back Thank right you. after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan from the Daily Searchcast. You know, we love bringing you the news every day, and that's made possible by the sponsorship of BruceClay.com, which just made Inc. Magazine's list of the fastest-growing private businesses. They've exhibited and sponsored at my conferences from the very beginning. Bruce has got that long-standing search engine relationship chart, had been out there with the code of ethics, been a search engine expert in the field for ages. But did you know that Bruce Clay can do more than help you with just SEO? They can do PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding. Everything you need for success in the online marketplace, you can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years, offices worldwide, they've got answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Bruce Clay Incorporated. Don't get bullied by the big guys. LookSmart is your budget-friendly online advertising alternative, offering businesses of all sizes affordable, targeted, pay-per-click advertising. And whenever you need help, whether you're just getting started or a seasoned vet, LookSmart offers accessible customer support for all advertisers, no matter the size. We call it pay-per-click power to the people, and it's only available here at LookSmart. Log on to ppcpowertothepeople.com and join the revolution today. 
xy7.com. Do you have a website? xy7.com. Would you like to convert your clicks into cash? xy7.com. Is the affiliate network that pays you daily? xy7.com. Not all website clicks are the same, but they're all worth money. xy7.com. Join today and start earning cash now. xy7.com. Has guaranteed commissions. You'll get paid even if we don't. Go to xy7.com now. Convert your website clicks to cash. Flashback, November 16th, 2004. The beginning of WebmasterRadio.fm and its immediate impact on the internet business world. Today, WebmasterRadio.fm has become one of the fastest growing internet media outlets on the planet. Our trade show coverage is second to none. We have brought you speeches and interviews from the most influential names in search, affiliate marketing, and public relations. Eric Schmary, Andrew Hank, John Battelle, Keith Ferraz, Jim Lanza, Jason Calcanis, and that's just the beginning. Trade show coverage on demand now at webmasterradio.fm. Warning! Listening to webmasterradio.fm daily may cause webmaster insomnia and an increase in your company's profits. Webmasterradio.fm. Stay up with us all night long. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, welcome back. I'm Katie Kempner, and I'm talking with Peggy Conlon, President and CEO of the Ad Council. Hello, Peggy. Hello, Katie. <laughs> I, you know, you have had such an amazing impact on the on the ad council, and you've worked on so many incredible campaigns, like the Campaign for Freedom after September 11th and um, the tsunami relief effort. What are some of the, I guess, what are you most proudest of being a part of? Oh, gosh, that's a tough question to uh, to pick the one thing. I do think this industry's response to 9-11 was incredible. Uh, our ability to bring together so many people that did so many, uh, so many things to help calm the country, to help prepare the country, to help overcome some of the obvious uh, anti-Arab sentiments that uh, were beginning to build in the first few days after 9-11. It was terrific. Um, and the other thing regarding that is I'm very proud of the fact that we sort of threw out the rule book and uh, rolled our sleeves up and worked 20 hours a day just to get things out. We had the first two spots, the I Am an American that was from GSDNM and uh, the Laura Bush spot talking to parents about comforting their children, uh, on air mm-hmm. nine days after the attacks. And um, wow. it was an interesting time. We worked with so many different groups. Uh, I think it was a very healing uh, process for the industry and for the country. And it also taught us how to be very responsive. Uh, by the time the tsunami happened, uh, media companies were calling us looking for uh, relevant messages. And then Katrina and uh, along the way a few other issues have happened like the, uh, a couple of years ago, the uh, uh, lack of the shortage of the flu vaccine. Uh, we, uh, we've been able to respond very quickly. The, the hurricanes that struck a couple of years ago. So we're 
I think, in addition to the fact that our our model, our process, which is very research-based and and very precise with lots of uh, creative checks and balances in it, uh, is wonderful, and it's what leads to that important social change that we talked about before the break. But I'm also very proud that the organization can be nimble and responsive. Um, We actually are, are applying that formula to an opportunity with a new campaign that we just accepted, and we're not even really uh, in a production on our standard PSA campaign yet, and that is uh, Returning Vets. We've partnered with the Iraq-Afghanistan Veterans of America, and um, uh, an opportunity came along with Major League Baseball, and they wanted something to run during the Super Bowl, uh, addressing – I'm sorry, I said Super Bowl. I'm in the World Series. Uh, I'm getting ahead of my sports here. Uh, something to run during um, the World Series uh, regarding how Americans could support returning vets. And mm-hmm. we've been able to work with them uh, in the space of about 10 days to turn something around, and we'll have two spots on Game 3 of the World Series. So it, it's, wow. a, it's, it's a terrific organization. I'm very proud of the uh, the nimbleness and the passion and commitment uh, of the team here and, uh, of course, needless to say, of the industry. How do you decide? I mean, people must, you know, with the success that you have and with the ear of the media companies and and advertising agencies, you must be approached many, many people a day. How do you just decide what to get behind? Well, the good news is that the staff here doesn't make the decision of what we, what issues we take on and what issues we don't take on because we're such... Uh, you know, we're so soft, we would take on everything. <laughs> Obviously, we don't have the capacity for that. But uh, we do both proactively go out and find issues that we think are important and contemporary, as we did with the obesity prevention work uh, a good five years ago. And then we also listen to groups that come to us and, and uh, try to discern which ones we think will meet our criteria, which is significance importance, of significant importance to the country, uh, an issue that can be addressed through public service advertising. Sometimes not all social issues can benefit from uh, public service advertising. And then we help them to um, put together a proposal which then goes before our executive committee. And the executive mm-hmm. committee of our board is the ultimate uh, deciding factor in whether or not we take on a campaign. The Ad Council has such a rich history, which which you talked about how it got started and some of the great campaigns. You know, as the leader of this of this group, what what are your hopes for its growth and future? Um, I'm really hopeful that what we'll be able to do is really twofold. One, stay on top of the most relevant social issues. And the second is that we're able to utilize um, all of the changes that we're seeing in the uh, media usage to reach the target audiences uh, appropriately. We're seeing already, you know, a shift over to um, uh, the Internet, and not just static web banners, but rich media and uh, video sites and all of the things that you would expect. I just learned that uh, in the last uh, approximately 12 months, we've had almost a half a million uh, YouTube views of our campaigns, and you know that's something we wouldn't have thought of two years ago. Uh, we're working with all of the great folks in the agency business that uh, are mastering 
how you make a campaign interactive and relevant to uh, the target audience. And it's not, it's not going to be a cookie-cutter approach. It's going to be different depending on the issue and depending on who the target audience is. But we're being brought along by the very people who uh, are figuring out on behalf of commercial advertisers. So I'm very confident that we'll continue to take advantage of uh, all of the wonderful touch points that there are out there with consumers and, and make sure our our important messages are in front of them. So they'll tell you what they are, and then you'll you'll adapt your campaigns to them. Exactly. Yeah, we're doing a tremendous amount right now. We have a campaign to prevent high school dropouts that is a, a very viral campaign. We've been doing it this way now, I think, for going on, well, for over two years. Mm-hmm. We uh, get video cameras into the hands of the at-risk kids that are in high school and have them document the obstacles, whether it's gangs or teen pregnancy or drugs or, you know, whatever it is in their lives that are getting in the way of them uh, graduating from high school. And we have a viral website where people can go and give these kids a boost because the most important thing they need is encouragement and to have people believe in them that they can overcome these terrible odds. So that's been a really interesting experience. We've learned a lot in the last two-plus years. And, you know, as I said, we're applying a lot of that learning to uh, to new campaigns that come along. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty phenomenal. We're almost out of time, but I, I want to switch gears just a little bit and ask you sort of a more personal question not about the ad council necessarily, but you know, y- you have been so successful and y- you have so much more. And up until this point, you've had such a successful career. And I'm wondering if you have any sort of philosophy that helps guide you through your career that would be useful to other people who are maybe not where they want to be or just starting out. Oh, that's a nice question. Um, <laughs> I guess personally, I believe that the most important thing that uh, a leader can do is first articulate a vision for the organization, but then find really good people and empower them and support them and encourage them to take risks. I think that too often we're in a very risk-averse business, and Mm -hmm. uh, I think real breakthroughs come when you do take risks and you let people know it's okay to fail as long as you don't fail in the same way twice. (laughs) So I I think that the key in my mind is finding really good people and understanding what they need to be successful and and that's where I want to put my energy. That's fantastic advice. Thank you, Peggy, so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you, Katie. Bye-bye. Bye now. And thank you so much. That's all the time we have today. We'll join me next time on another edition of The Hook.